Hey, Augmenters. I'm Julie. I'm Jimmy. And we believe authentic, connected relationships are the key to growing to your potential. Today, we are joined by Amy Emmerich, Creative Media Powerhouse and Chief Executive Officer of the Miss Universe organization. Amy shared with us three key takeaways. Number one was how to level up your ability to connect with others by establishing rapport quickly. Amy also taught us that you don't always have to be a mentor. It's okay to be a role model. And lastly, when the universe comes calling, you should listen. Here we go. Wow. Amy Emmerich, we are so happy to have you on Augmenters today. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Good to be here. How do we do with our start, Amy? You know, being like a production, how are we doing kicking things off? You know, do we have good good eye contact? I'm very relaxed, comfortable. You look, you look as a smiling, so that's always helpful. It's almost like a reality show. I feel like, in I, fact. Feel, I, feel like I need to put my, show, my uh, glasses on too, so we can all live the dream oh, yeah. together. N- now we're just all librarians. Exactly. Yep. Just, so just bringing bad, things right? closer. A job we used to make fun of wouldn't be so bad. <laughs> Amazing. Amy, we're so happy to have you here. We... I stalked you, which is what I generally tend to do, uh, because I was so fascinated by your background, by the work that you're doing, and I really appreciate you being open to my cold reach out uh, to come onto the show with us. And you have such a fascinating background. We can't wait to hear all about it. What we'd love to kind of start with is, as you're introducing yourself, one thing that we have found is our guests tend to identify, when they talk about their mentor their mentor, somebody, was generally somebody that recognized something in them before they recognized it in themselves and saw something in them. So we're curious if you have a story about a mentor or somebody who saw something in you before you saw it in yourself and how that kind of led you to where you are today. I would say that even when I first knew what the podcast was about, I'm pretty sure I said to you, I really don't know how I feel about mentors. And you said, that's why it's perfect. (laughs) Because when you ask me that question, I don't necessarily, I don't know if I would have thought of her as a mentor, but now that I'm looking back, our chief people officer at Refinery29, and obviously I was older, I turned 40 there at the time, but she really focused in on me and my high EQ, which until that day, I really kind of sold myself as I'm not book smart, I'm street smart. I just felt a Mm. different value for book smart. I'm not a business school kid, grew up with not much, definitely grew up around television and movies. I can quote that way better than I can quote any book. But there was just something that she really believed in that I don't think I realized was a superpower. And she really Mm. educated me around that, around what it brings to the table, about how leadership was changing. So, and she was always so positive about it. And we were in a really tough environment where being that kind of leader in a startup at the time is also really aggressive. But I've got to give Carolyn Meacher a shout out because, yeah, she really focused in on the high EQ. Shout out, Carolyn. Shout out, Carolyn. That's great. And, you know, Augmenters in general is about helping people connect more authentically and grow to their potential. And having a high EQ in a leadership context, there is no way to quantify how important that is. Right. You can lead an organization, get people to move mountains when you can connect with them and help them grow. So that's great. I love that. Who would have known? I don't. I think the thing that comes the easiest to us, we tend to not like appreciate enough because it's easy. Hmm. 
So I was like, well, that's not really a thing. It's just what I do. It's who I am. And someone's like, yeah, but that's, you're lucky because that's a good trait to have and you need to hone in on it. But I was like, yeah, but if I'm not working hard on it, does that count? Which is such a, you know, mental mind mess. So you really have to change the way you're thinking like, oh, just because it comes easy doesn't mean it's not an amazing part of yourself. And then how do you keep growing that and find the people to do the other stuff? Correct. And lean into it, right? Oh, okay. I'm great at this. That's what I'm going to focus on. I'm not going to beat myself up because I'm not great at everything else. It's changed. Yeah, it's a change that's mindset. so true. That was one of my quotes that I took away from our first conversation, Amy. You said, I know you or I don't. And now it makes more sense given the story of like, I've met you, therefore I know you. Like, I, I, I got you. Uh, I cannot remember names for my life, but a face I will always remember. And I tend to link it towards the years. I think in production, we all moved around so much stints. So you always know kind of what you were working on the year you were there. Therefore, you tend to remember some of the, the names. And But yeah, if, if I met you and you're in the thick of it with me, like what more do we need? Move on. And speaking of production, if you could just give a quick overview of your career. You have been in so many spots. I have so many shows I want to just like deep dive and ask you a million behind yeah. the scenes questions about, but that will definitely be another podcast. But could you give us a quick <laughs> overview? I give it to Kit Laybourne and Jerry Laybourne. When I worked at Oxygen and Kit kept telling us, you have no idea how special this is when we were all working on a show together and he would have like, you know, the 10 of us to his house and give us dinner. And we didn't, you know, we were a bunch of young 20 somethings. We knew we were having fun, but you don't realize until you get further in your career, how amazing some of those things are that you've done. Going to Rosie O'Donnell's show where I started was because I used to watch Rosie on VH1. I thought she was hilarious. I mean, on VH1? What did she do on VH1? I forgot. Oh, yes. Free kids, free Rosie O'Donnell show, you know? And so when the show came out, I remember being in my college, really bad apartment dorm room, watching this ginormous television. And, you know, the screen was this big but you know what I'm saying? (laughs) And realizing that she had a show and I just started to stalk them, like you said, to work there. I just knew that's where I wanted to go. I did a lot of internship interviewing and I remember Jim Nolan from Channel 7 telling me I should have gone into news. He was like, you're going to meet with the entertainment people and Regis and Rosie, you need to be in news. And I always think about him later on in life because he probably wasn't wrong. My energy is so hyped that I probably would have loved reporting on real people and the stories, but there was something about the energy. And I think a little bit of like laughter at life that really, you know, attracted me to that show. And she was like hardcore feminist in an age that, that really didn't exist, at least in my world. So yeah, no, I, I worked there as an intern and PA and AP. And some of those people are still the most amazing talent I've ever worked with running so many shows on air right now as EPs and producers and tons of Emmys. It really is luck. You know, how could you possibly know as a college kid, what show is going to be the biggest show on air? I mean, you don't know. I went for what spoke the most to me, but I knew I wanted to be behind the camera. So oxygen had this amazing program that Jerry and Kit started with a guy named Michael Rosenblum, where they taught, they kind of built a, a lab inside the office. They were one of the first people to have open floor plans. And then they built this igloo Hmm. in the building where they educated us. You could take classes. I mean, I'm talking like 2000. And they brought in this guy, Michael Rosenblum, to teach a DV class for pro prosumers is what we used to call the small format cameras. So I begged, borrowed and pleaded, made my way in there and just bonded with that team. And then we started making pilots for Oxygen. So I was finally like a one-man band out in the field doing documentaries of all kind, which is the most fun I've ever had. 
I think, wow. you know, everything from hanging off of a helicopter to SWAT call outs to bot filming like you know, surgeries and harvests of the bodies and kidney transplants and heart transplants. We really just saw so much riding around with cops on patrol for many, many hours. And you saw the whole country. So it opened up your mind. And then I think it really just honed in my storytelling skills because you're in a squad car alone with two cops talking for eight hours, you're probably only filming 20 minutes trying to figure out what the story is. And then you're directing and making up your mind as you go. I didn't know that was happening at the time. I just thought I better hit record and not miss anything. But we did so much and that led to Cat House, which is another big one that everyone loves to see. So I think I've always thrown myself inside of wacky, you know, worlds, underworlds. That's the Bunny Ranch, a brothel. And we met mm -hmm. people that was an HBO show. So again, I was, you know, I met Sheila Nevins that way and Patty Kaplan and some of these amazing women that were in the world. So again, luck. I didn't know who Rosie was, you know, outside of being a fan. I didn't know Kit and Jerry Laybourne, who one of the most amazing women in media launched Nickelodeon. And then, you know, you get to Sheila Nevins, another right legend. So all those production days were really amazing. And then of course you collect your family along the way, especially when you're deep down. But then I, I joined the dark force, the, the dark side and uh, started working inside of the office and development all over the place. Had so many friends from production at MTV and MTVU. And I moved over to Travel Channel, Maryland. I mean, I was in and out, I feel like, of every possible network. But I really tackled the media from every angle, I think, which now mm -hmm. is awesome. I think back then people thought you might have jumped around a lot. But I was curious and I get bored easily. So I, I would switch. I also didn't like the bureaucracy of TV at the time. The cycles were too slow. Yeah. There was so much bureaucracy to get something made. The same people were making the decisions. So that's when I, you know, jumped to the dark, the real dark side of digital. And at the time, everyone told me not to do it. My friend, Jamie Shupak was dating Brian Stelter at the time. And Brian mm -hmm. was a writer at the time. And she said, we should ask Brian. He's like on top of this stuff. And even so he said, you're going to go to Vice? They're definitely the Wild West. Who knows what will happen? But every agent in town said, you're crazy. Why are you leaving television? This is your future. This is a horrible mistake. And it was like the greatest thing I ever did. So definitely took a lot of risks. And maybe when you freelance for so long, you kind of don't care. You've already seen one sign, you know, it's not working. So what else can happen? And then there it was. It was Vice Media, which was intense and aggressive. And Shane was a wildcat. But you learn a lot. And, but you're still on the leadership side. So it's not like I went to leadership school. You were kind of thrown into it with 55 other 20-something, 30-something-year-olds. They were probably over 50 acting like they were 25 um, in the bro culture <laughs> of it all. And then, you know, I went back to scripts to play it safe. I say that in quotes to still work. And there are another amazing woman, Lisa Troy Owens. I think she's still at TED, CRO. Unbelievable. Her energy is off the charts. And she was probably the first woman who said, oh, you want to have kids? Come work here. I'll let you go to the doctor as often as you need. You could take the time off. Like, mm. so accommodating. Wow. And then that's when I finally had kids and was like, what am I doing now? And then <laughs> the refinery recruiter came and I was like, this is not what I need right now. I'm pregnant with my second. What, you know, like, what is this startup? And I fell in love the minute I went there. And then I stayed there for six years. And now I find myself after a little break at Miss Universe. And I mean, honestly, I couldn't have told you that that was gonna be what happened ever. Mm. And this journey, I'm not, I don't think anyone is that brilliant to see into the future that far ahead to figure it out. I, I feel like you just grabbed my hand and made me sprint up a hill and back down. <laughs>
That was get ready. That was amazing. I still don't ever know how people talk about their resumes and like, here's my three liners. You can look at it from every angle of life, right? Who you grew as as a person, from a business angle, your experiences of it. You know, it all makes you who you become. So it's such a, a wild ride. Totally. I have a selfish question, and then I have like an actually on augmenters question yeah. at Vice. I remember when David Cho came up came out with the thumbs up videos. Were you at all part of that? Or like, I was just like consumed by those. What era was that? What year? Do you remember? I think it was like 2013 or 2014. I think I was there. I mean, show was definitely in the mix. I actually met him because he came to Travel Channel to pitch a show. That was the show he was uh-huh. doing on Vice. And I remember thinking Vice is in trouble. Like, why is a guy from Vice uh-huh. coming to pitch a show to Travel Channel? But no, I don't think I was a, a part of that show. I, I greenlit a lot of stuff while I was there in 2012, but I left in 2013 to go to Scripps and have okay. my daughter. Yes. It was okay. not, it would have been the most amazing environment for me if I was 24. I think I was 35. Yeah. And I just remember yeah. like watching everyone around me doing cocaine and like mushrooms. And I was like, I have to get off this roof. Like, what am I doing here? <laughs> 20, 10 years ago, it should be the party of a lifetime. Like right now, I'm married and trying to get pregnant. This is not, I am not going to make good choices in this environment. That was for sure. So um, yeah. yeah, so I, I, I really kind of organized them in the year of 2012. I give Shane and Andrew Crichton a lot of credit for understanding that digital video universe better than anyone. I honestly thought they were a little nuts when I came on board, but in hindsight, I learned more in one year at that job than I've learned probably in all of television. They they were the first ones who really understood like it's not what you've learned or done before, it's the kind of person you are and can you just get anything done? Are you somebody that mm. I can give you any problem and I know you'll figure out a solution? So kids with huge titles were 22 and it broke kind of like the norm that society programmed me to believe like we all have to climb this ladder. And did you do your dues? It was more about like what kind of brain capacity do you have? And are you willing to hustle enough to do it? I'm not saying that's the perfect way. It was just such a different space than I had been working in for so long, but it was wild. (laughs) I paint it now as a pretty picture, but it was wild. And that actually comes to my like more, you know, pertinent question, which is you mentioned like, you just figure out your family wherever you go, Yeah. but how do you figure that out? I mean, you said earlier, you know, like either, either I know you are a dome. How do you know these are your people? Are there certain signs where body language or like a way somebody says hello that you're like, oh yeah, this person and I are going to jam. You know, it's such a a simple answer. It's I just look for good people. I think there's a world of business that rightfully in capitalism, people just want to get ahead. They will, Mm -hmm. they're there to work with you. They want something from you and it's strictly business. And that's okay because we work in business, but they're only calling you for the favor. They've never really Mm -hmm. been there for a beer or whatever it is you drink. And they will sell someone else out just to get ahead. And I think production kind of didn't work that way. You really needed to be team spirit. It was more like sport than anything. So if you couldn't be humble, you know, lose your ego enough and be for the team, I just don't think you stuck around very long. I also tell everyone people come in and out of your life at all times spaces and the matrix we live in. So people who might not have been my person then, I'll get phone calls from them 10 years later, but it's the show and the overall experience that you remember. And then as I even got really old, older, no one's ever old, older. um, I just realized like, I don't want to fight with people. 
Like, I'd rather be in an argument with you today. The great woman, Kate Hyatt at Refinery, we used to call it sparring without parting. Like, let's get into it. Mm. Tomorrow, let's just get right back to where we are. I don't want to hold on to things. It takes too much energy. Yeah, like, who's who's kind in the office, right? And I always think, like, who's making you laugh and who's a hard worker? I think everyone's inspired by the other really, like, innovative, go-to type people. And I really believed I was always the ultimate cheerleader in so many of them. So to me, it was so fun to, like, support them and cheer them on. So you kind of build it around that. But it, so, it's so, Amy, I just want to point out in an office, definitely easier. Your initial thoughts about mentoring. I think what you described is, is actually a lot of mentoring. A lot of mentoring. But it's also like, that's the job, you know, like, I don't know. I felt I'm surrounded by six people and people are not secure enough or confident enough what they're doing. And you're seeing them create amazing things. Isn't the job to just tell one another, do I have to be the boss to do that? I don't think so. I think it's truly about, and I wasn't this confident, obviously, in my whole career, but, you know, being confident enough to say, I I think it's amazing you're better than me at this. How do you do that? That's awesome. Keep doing it. You just have to grow into that, I think. But yeah, it's everybody's job to me. (laughs) Like that shouldn't be my mentor's job. How do you do that for someone you might only meet for a coffee and never see again? I don't know. It's easy to pass it on. Maybe I'm reading too many kid books about kindness. That's such a jaded way about, I just told a really nuanced story of how to build community and give a fuck about others. But let me tell you about these kid books are rotting my brain. They're amazing. These kid books, we should all read kid books as adults because they're, you're just like, Oh, that's the life lesson. Fill up someone's bucket and do something kind because it's free and easy. Great. Sign me up. So yeah, read a kid's book. Kindness. We'll look one up. I got a couple. That is an awesome, awesome tip. Okay. I love that. And I think you probably have been mentoring, as you know, all the way through. And especially as a woman in business, especially as a woman with the time in your decision to have kids and to show other women that it is possible, right? There's trade-offs. There's things that are hard, but like you show up in an environment, you take care of each other. And you can then also take care of your family, which is so exciting. But we are dying to hear about your current life. As the CEO of Miss Universe, I think we probably all have our very, I'm sure everybody now at Miss Universe, I'm sure everybody tells you their like memory of Miss Universe when they were a little and watching a very large TV with a very small screen that was like about six feet backwards with my grandma who is uh, British, but grown up in India. And we were watching the pageant together and she was, you know, just like mesmerized by these glorious, glamorous women. But of course, it felt like super unattainable, right? Like, I mean, this like elite, I mean, unless you've like won the genetic lottery, how are you ever going to be a contestant on this? And I would just love to hear, A, how you got here, because that's fascinating. And then just like more about the organization. You know, it's uh, at the, the how I got here is just bananas too, because we sold Refinery Device, which was its own just mind it was just complete chaos. That's another podcast. A lot of the, the <laughs> staff didn't feel like it was on brand with who we were and just the emotional pacing of that. And we had been a startup on the rise for six years. We were exhausted. We overworked each other. We definitely were probably not taking care of each other, as I just described. So when we went through that acquisition, then we all hit COVID. And then a lot of things started just breaking up in our world. Our mm. business was one of the business that got caught up inside of a cancel culture experience. One that definitely was happening to, I don't, I cannot even count how many businesses, but I had had a kid who was six years old who I'd never seen. 
And I just had to make the decision. I was like, I'm quitting. I'm out. Like, this is too much. I think the universe had been telling me to get out many, many times and I did not listen. So this was like the final punch in the face. So I said, I'm going to take a break, which no one ever believes you're doing. But hello, we're in COVID. I'm like homeschooling two kids. It was a total nightmare. And at the same time, the best thing I ever did. And it gave me time. I said, I'm never going back to media again. I'm done. I was looking for CEO jobs. I stopped looking. You know, I thought life was over, you know, the whole crazy COVID. And then a recruiter called me and said, we're looking for a CEO from his universe. I had been consulting somewhere and the woman I was working with said to me, this is hysterical that they're calling you. <laughs> and I said, the, well, why do you? This is the universe coming calling again. And, well, and she, I go, why do you think this is so funny, by the way? And she said, you've been saying for the last four months, the universe has a plan. And I think <laughs> all the emotion I went through during 2020, I really had to believe that. Like, Everything bad in your life, there's always a reason. You just have to keep your mind open enough to know something good is coming. We all learn from everything if you're resilient enough and you push through. So I really did believe, I don't know what's going to happen, but the universe has a plan. So of course I took the interview because the universe has a plan. And sure enough, it was like right up my alley. I liked the IMG. Of course, I knew them from my past um, experiences mm -hmm. and they're under Endeavor and William Morris, tons of old friends. And then I went to a pageant. And they flew me to Israel during COVID, during a shutdown. I couldn't even believe I got in. It was like two weeks before Christmas. I met Paula Sugart, who's been the president for like almost 25 years. This woman's amazing. She is also a production background. So we hit it off, you know, like, oh, let's keep talking for the next 70 years. And then when I got there, I started to meet all the women in the pageant. And they were, one was smarter and, and more beautiful in so many ways than the next. And the stories behind who they were, what they had to do to get there, just to even get to Israel, period. So many delegates were alone, no families, no directors, because you couldn't get in. Everybody was like trapped. It was just a wild, wild time to see what this was doing. And then there was the fans. I knew they already had 23 million people following them on social without even trying. And then they were like, it was lunatics. It was four in the morning in a live show. And you would have thought it was four in the afternoon. The banners raised, the sirens and air horns and screaming. There was just something like electric about it. And I said, oh, this is a misunderstood brand. This is a brand yes. that the privileged eyes of America look down upon and don't want to see that it could possibly be giving hope and inspiration to the rest of the world. That's what this is. Mm. And after what I experienced, I felt like I knew a little bit of what it was like to be misunderstood. And, you know, so I took the gig and then it's been 14 months now. There's not a boring day. <laughs> it's gone on. Um, <laughs> I thought I was done selling companies after Refinery. So I came on board. We knew it was going to be a brand issue. Paula had so many great ideas of what she wanted to do. She just really didn't get, I think, the support. I also don't know if being under the male gaze for so long, Paula could even see through it with a female gaze because inside she's such a strong female, but she was owned by Trump. Can you imagine working for Trump? Let's just Paul, no. you know, give her a Hail Mary. And then she got bought by Ari Emanuel and Endeavor. And that's where it's at. And she kept this thing alive, right? For 25 years. And she had a hardcore crew 
Esther, who's been there for 25 years managing these title holders. She knows everyone, every airport in every country you ever go to. And the title holders love her. And Carlos Capetillo was managing the franchises. He'd been there for eight years, but he was a fan. So like, if you asked him anything, Carlos could tell you who won when and why, like in any year in the past 30 years. It's amazing. So how can you not get sucked in to that? Right. But the social team was short. So we had to build that up. And we really were tasked to take something that's one night and one woman and really highlight how this is all year round. And what can we do to take the inspiration from that stage and share it with the world all the time? How do we get these women's stories out? Well, the best way to do that is obviously social media. It's the cheapest. We can build mm-hmm. channels. Very easy. And we need to unify the community. There's over 86 licensees that license this brand. It's an IP franchise business, believe it or not. Mm. So you've got 86 local, if not more, pageants happening around the globe. Truly a global business. IMG wanted to know if we should kill the name. And I was like, I'll go on the exploration, but this brand is as well known as Coca-Cola and Pepsi. I mean, it's truly a legacy brand and every legacy brand has an up and has a down. And I love a challenge. And the biggest one was probably, does the pageant world exist in this day and age? Does it have a place anymore? And is this complete objectification of women? I mean, look, I think there's a lot, thank God for Brene Brown, but the power of vulnerability is now leaking into business, right? Everyone has to have a purpose. Thank goodness. You can't only exist to make money because I don't think people will care about mm-hmm. you long enough. And there's just something about, okay, how can we be vulnerable with the audience and with ourselves with everything we are doing wrong? And then how do we fix it? And don't do that alone. So we started with talking to them, right? Like what's a male, who doesn't love a male chimp or a survey monkey? You know, delegates, <laughs> doesn't have to be that high tech, right? And more importantly, <laughs> the directors who've been there and Paula and the team and little by little, just started changing and shifting things. I think everyone goes in and thinks you're going to just like flip the table upside down and fire everyone. But this was more of a respecting it. And I felt like in order to change it, I had to respect it first. And the goal was to get other people to respect the brand, respect the women, respect the team making it. In order to do that, you can't flip the table. We're obviously doing something right. It's still around. We're still talking about it. So how do you respect what the fans love so much and still help it evolve into the year 2023 and beyond because there was a lot that needed it. What was your perception of it going into it? Did you have a story that you remember? Or, I mean, a you no, know, I don't really remember watching the pageant. I was in dancing school, so I understand pageantry and competition and I was a cheerleader. So it's like I had to like question a lot of ideas. I don't normally wear that much makeup. I have no clue how to do my hair. I don't wear heels. I don't even wear skirts anymore. So the way you have to realize, are you judging people or are you respecting people for who they are? Weirdly, I think the Kardashians helped me see that. And Jill <laughs> from Trits, you know, like, it's just weird how you start to appreciate the difference in women because we've been programmed to hate each other. So you start to realize like, good for you. You want you want big boobs, you go for it. You want that butt, you want to buy inclusivity. Like we need to just accept one another without the judging. So I didn't, I think I almost go in intimidated, actually. You started off by saying genetic lottery. In this day and age, I can make you look like Kim Kardashian with a little bit of makeup. I do those videos all day long on Refinery29, right? Everybody can become something that they want to feel good in and become. I'm not saying these girls are not genetic lottery, don't get me wrong, but there is a lot of preparation 
and and they love that the glitz and glam is just beyond what the fans love right we're actually trying to shift the mindset of some of culture and some of the fandom because the women joining actually are coming to use their voice that's what's funny there's not a large model base of candidates because we're a modeling competition, they're coming because we actually let them talk. In the modeling business, you don't speak. And we're saying, come on board. We're going to give you a stage. You could say whatever you want. What do you want to advocate for? So they, there's a lot of models that say, oh, wait a minute, I want to go do that. And then there's a lot of like financiers and judges and chemical engineers, pre-med students, you know, I, I, you name it, they're a part of the competition. They're a part of the pageant world. They're there because they want to break representation. I can be a lawyer and still love pageantry. I can still look this good with a slit up to my waist and go defend a case tomorrow in the courtroom, right? It all became this kind of, mm-hmm. if that's what you're there for, and then let's talk about culture. I think in our country, we finally are respecting culture you know, of other countries instead of suffocating it. And now you've got a competition where the reason why the fans are so big is because they're so excited to see their culture on stage, their country on stage. A lot of these countries can't afford Olympics or soccer. You know, this is it for them. And this woman is representing them for all million different reasons. So how do you get that story out? And then how do we make sure the women have agency and decision of choice? Like, that's really the big one. I told everybody for the first time ever in the history of Miss Universe, they could wear flats on stage during the bathing suits, the swimwear. We had a foot sponsor who was amazing, young guy, Jojo, out of the Philippines. He like literally made everyone work over the holiday to get me these sandals. And we gave them to the women and they wore them nonstop behind stage, nonstop. And I said, you know, you can wear these on stage. We are not penalizing you. We're not looking at your feet. You are in a bathing suit. Most people are not in six inch heels when they're wearing their swimwear. And you can <laughs> Jimmy. I hear it's difficult on sand. Yeah, exactly. And you can see their faces like, what do you mean? And I never would have thought that no one would do it. I really honestly thought at least one would take it. And then I realized the pressure that they get from their culture, communities, and countries without forewarning those countries, the women couldn't, like they felt such a loyalty to their country. They were like, no, I can't do that. I don't want to upset you know, the country, this is what they're expecting. And that's when I realized we have to get a year ahead of it for every type of shift and change we want to see. We've got to get really ahead mm. of it. But it's been, obviously, I'm talking too much about it because it's like, it, it's it's the most fascinating place I've ever been and nothing like what I expected. I'm excited for you to be, give your masterclass in change management, which <laughs> which uh, will start with respect. That's a pretty powerful story right there. I also, though, have now uh, tried to Google misunderstood as the brand ambassador for Miss Universe. <laughs> you know, they make that sash for bachelorette parties and friends' birthdays, just FYI. Oh. We should be making it, Word. but that is getting made. Someone had given it to me once. Word up. I think the domain's available. It well, might not we'll be after right this now, podcast. right now, and then later I can get it yeah. with you. <laughs> I, I, I have a feeling you'll get what you want. <laughs> and honestly, let's be real. I think the one, the one thing that every person can appreciate is being misunderstood. I don't think that's like a female quality anymore. That's just Mm-mm. everyone. And that to me is like, okay, the one thing everyone was unified on was impact and the advocacy work. Every fan loves it. They want more of it, including the delegates. And then the next one was like, how can I see myself in the competition? Like, what is it about that? And that's the stories. We need to get more of the stories out there. Speaking of the stories, how do you see the contestants 
interact and support each other. Is there some way that certain contestants are able to help shine a light on others? Do they help bring out each other's stories? Like, is there actually camaraderie or is it a lot just just competition? I've only now been to two Miss Universes, if you can believe that. And I've been to a Miss USA and a Miss Teen. I can say that for all the Miss Universes, everyone behind the scenes is supporting one another. You know, you can't be friends with all 86 girls. Like you physically can't even manage that, right? You, you always become closer with like a circle. They all room with one another. So they, and then they wind up going on little excursions and trips with a circle of 10 or five. And we try to mix them up as much as possible. Through that, mm. they're just so excited to be there. I mean, imagine you've never left your country before, or you've only been a model. Have you ever been around 86 other women that obviously have the same interests as you? You can all understand what competition does. There's so much for them to talk about. There's different languages occurring. There's about, you know, seven different languages happening with translators. So that's fun for them. And then getting to know one another in, in your country. But one of the favorite moments was behind the stage, behind the scenes, right before finals, Venezuela, who came in third runner up or second runner up, she was thanking everybody. She was just like, I don't have to win this. This was like the most fun I've ever had. And then afterward, so many women would come up to you and say, this was a blast. Like, I didn't even think I would win when I came, but I'm walking away with 85 other women who I now support, I could travel with and, you know, give Paula another shout out. She always says, this is more about bringing the future leaders together of tomorrow. And if we can get them to understand each other one or more, you know, a little bit more and get, you know, one another to understand each other's countries a little bit more, would you really build future leaders who are looking for war? You know, like, no. Wow. And it is, I, I just don't know how many other places do this with that type of focus. So it's God, that's such a big idea, right? This sort of like future is female, this future global female. Well, that's where it came Leaders, from. like is, is a group like this able to come together? I mean, obviously, you know, there's the Olympics, but for women, right? Yeah. Like where else are you getting that? That's huge. That's huge. I hadn't thought of that at all. Well, when we had to do some brand management last year, you know, again, what's the point of the pageant today? right? Let's let go of the past. But throughout the, at least the way Paula sees it and throughout the history, there's always moments of women stepping up. The first pageant was for bathing suits, but they got a job. And guess what? Back when mm. this started, people, women didn't work. So that was already a big deal. Like, okay, fine. You want me to wear a bathing suit, but I have a job and you travel me around. Great. Get me out of my house and I'm not going to be a stay at home. So there's always those stories for this. It really became, all right, what do we, why do we exist and we exist to advocate for a future forged by women. That's it. That's the ethos. How we get there and how we do it, that's up to us. And we happen to do it through glitz and glam, which grabs everyone's attention. We do it through a competition per se, right? But that's also just what people love on television. And then while you're there, we're trying to educate you on amazing women and all these awesome stories. And it's also like something good for kids and adults, I brought my kids to the show this year. No one was more excited than my son. He's eight. He could care less <laughs> what you look like, but he, of course he wanted USA. You know, he's from USA and he loved a couple of other countries. But watching them just absorb it and take it in, adults see it as sexual, but the kids don't. The kids just like love listening to them and seeing if they're going to fall down in their heels. And, you know, and like, wow, there was just so many women, mom. Right. Like that's I, I don't I watch the Super Bowl with them. You know, who are they seeing? 
So I don't know of another show that's mm-hmm. three hours long that focuses on women that, yes, has some of the glitz and glamour of a bachelorette story, but underneath really has a lot of culture, you know, and politics mixed into it. So this, you know, long way to say they all, even even in the nightmare of Miss USA's unfortunate rigging scandal, the reason why that occurred was because the contestants, 49 of them, stood by each other. And even during Hmm. that time period, they never said to me, we want to take down Miss USA. They said, we want to make it better. That's like an amazing passion point. Normally people are ready to burn it down. And that's just not what I heard. Everybody just said, we want to help it grow and grow for the best. And they all believed in Arbany. They all still supported her. They would always say, this is not Arbany's fault and she deserved to win, but there were some issues and let's look at them. But so even in like the best of time or worst of time, they managed to find one another and really support one another through a lot. Is there some kind of system or symmetry that you've seen over the past two years where a woman from one country, it's clear that she's going to perform better in the end uh, polling just because of how she interacts with the other women behind stage? And I'm pretty sure Paula would tell you no, too, at least not today. Because you can get a sense of who someone is. And I think the more relaxed someone is, the better you actually do, right? The more you're yourself, the more people can see that. But the the selection committee is completely separated from the delegates the entire time. So they really see them on the stage. Now they've seen them do interviews, one-on-one interviews. They, they, they talk to do different, they do like an interview for about 10 to 15 minutes with each group. They do long bios. So everyone's aware of who they are, what they stand for, and they've met them, but you're not watching as much interaction. The girl, not the girls, the women, I also have to stop doing that with the rest of America. The women vote on one another and there is someone who gets the congeniality. There was a tie this last year. And, you know, that's what matters more, right? They're voting for each other. I wish it was Malta and someone else. And I'm going to, I feel so bad. I can't remember. But anyway, they, that to me is like the best award because all your, you know, other women and other component uh, delegates are voting for you. So, but it's not a part yet of the final. That's incredible, Amy, because what a lot of what we talk about is, right, how do you sort of be that person that's really connecting with others, the EQ that we started our whole entire conversation with and being able to identify that as part of this broader context of what you're looking at for Miss Universe, but then also how that really translates into leadership yes. and that tra- translate into this future global leaders, which I really am excited to hear. You, know, you have to remember, they've already won something to get to Miss Universe. So honestly, when you even see the top 16, you're like any one of these women could win. I mean, and honestly, even the 80, you're like each and every one of these people are so just you're blown out of the water every time you meet someone. There isn't anybody there that you wouldn't believe could lead, (laughs) you know, the next corporation. They've already gone through so much just to make it to that point. So it's not like there's ever a definite Oh, that one's definitely winning. It, there's no way. Paula says it every year. It really just comes down. It does change someone's life. It just comes down right to the end of what happens on that stage. We did create a job description this year. The job is of being a global ambassador and you have to communicate. So we did up the scoring on the conversations and the Q&As. You know, we send you on the road for a year. You're talking about advocacy. You're in rooms with sick kids and you're in rooms with politicians. Like you got to be able to hold yourself in every possible way. And then, you know, you do have a ton of people supporting you, but we also live in the day and age of bullying. I mean, more women get bullied online than any other. And, you know, it's yeah. it's a problem. So you've got to be tough enough to handle that. Got to be so many... <laughs> 
issues to be able to handle, right? But that's leadership. The one thing I'd love to ask, Amy, like in terms of what you're seeing in the future, I saw this menstrual equity coalition with Miss Universe, which is incredible. It's so great to see. And again, I think that's when our both Jimmy and my brains are like on fire reading more about what Miss Universe is doing and really wanted to make sure we had this time to hear more. Do you see that? Are there various like specific topics that Miss Universe is looking to tackle in the upcoming years? Uh, or or what, what do you kind of see as the future? Part of the, the business of last year too was separating out the organization from the Miss Universe pageant. I do want to reclaim mm. that word back. You know, we've tried every word and we're calling it platform. I said, guys, let's not disrespect all the fans of pageantry, which was quite a large fan base, even in the States. Mm. But we're also an organization that's truly trying to forge a future made for and by women, right? So how do we separate it out? For the organization, the goal would be to focus around girls' education. That's our larger issue. Every Zozi, who's the winner a few years ago, had the greatest quote on stage and talked about leadership. And if we can train girls to understand leadership, be comfortable in power, that then they'll grow up a lot more to handle negotiations, the things that tend to hold us back because we're not, you know, truly educated around it, especially the confidence. So if we can, and there's so many countries that just lack schools or funding. And so we're looking at a couple of nonprofits to work with, to strategically track the numbers. You can't measure, right? You can't manage what you can't measure. Mm -hmm. So we've got to be able to fight that. But the goal for the Miss Universe is she comes in with her own advocacy work. So there's a certain amount of work we always like to see. Part of the job is your advocacy work. Paula's on the board of Smile Train. She's worked with them as a partner for millions of years. Harnaz came in with menstrual equity as the thing that she was passionate about. She told the story her mom's a gynecologist. She knew she was privileged. She could see it. But then she would visit places and see that other girls were not as lucky. And especially in a country like India, where girls can't even go to school if they have their period, Never mind if you have feminine product. This was a big deal. I came from working at Refinery29. I talked about menstrual equity all day long for five years. But watching Paula and even the universe's eyes light up, this was like such a great topic for Harnaz to really dive into. So Paula's used to doing a lot of nonprofit work with a lot of partners. She got in with Michael Hoffman and Changed Your World, and they built Global Menstrual Equity Coalition. They announced it on Global Citizen Stage, and Harnaz truly traveled I can't remember how many continents and countries to talk about this. So the goal is now as they move forward is to raise 5 million in five years. And then they're going to parse that out to all the local orgs, like in different countries so that they can use the money for what's necessary. And that to me is what she's always been doing. I think I'm just probably marketing it better or really seeing it and highlighting it a bit differently. You know, Paula was so inside the universe world and I'm trying to take her outside of that. But the advocacy work is the most fun. Arbany is Miss Universe now, and she's really into sustainability, fashion for good. She just was on the red carpet for a pre-Oscars party, green dress, red carpet, all about sustainable wear. So I think we're just at the beginning of what she's going to do, watching her upcycle materials and turn them into dresses that Obviously, no one can model better than Arbany. It's so <laughs> unbelievable. She's half Filipino, half American from Texas. Just really smart, brilliant woman who already started her own fashion business. She's 28. This is why we have to say woman. She's not a girl, um, which is something else I noticed. Everybody would talk about pageants and say girls. And, you know, she's going to, I do think the work she'll do, not just on our social app, but what we will be able to see and what we'll convey on the next Miss Universe stage is it's a big thing, sustainability, right? It's hard to tackle. I like that she's really focused on the fashion part of it, the fast fashion. And again, vulnerability. She's not perfect by any means. You know, Arby's got to wear probably seven outfits in a day. You know, it's like kind of impossible to not mix and manage, mm. but that's her point. 
you know, you don't have to be perfect to show progress. And we all need to just be aware and do little things. So again, tons of sisterhood there, because what she'll do is reach out to all the delegates that she competed with. And then everyone will start to spread and share that message. Once you get to like top 16, mm. universe you're following can rocket to about a million or more. So I think her is already up to five to 6 million. And she's now back doing all of her menstrual equity work back in India and then she'll get on the road again. So for Arbany, we'll see something similar. And so if you know you're making influencers overnight, you really want to make sure they've got something positive to say. I mean, that's the point. <laughs> Amy, you, off. I don't even, I feel like it's been all this no, universe. I'm sorry. No, no, no. You, you, you've been fantastic. I mean, you, you said earlier on that you, we could just kind of like wind you up and you just go chasing a direction. So I'm, I'm still a little out of breath. Uh, this is <laughs> phenomenal. Uh, but we've come to a portion of the show where I ask for a brief rapid fire word association, oh which I know you will excel at. Oh, yeah, I'm excited totally. where this goes. I have a couple I would like to ask you. So I'm going to say a word and just say whatever comes to mind. When I say the word mentor, what do you say? Whoa, mentor. I hate that the word men is in it, but that's okay. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Well, mentoring. We've had uh, Michelle Ferguson wrote the book. Well, mentoring. When I say mentee. I actually think excited. Hmm. Okay. How about sponsor? Partner. And the word coach? Leader. And a special Amy only one. How about the term role model? In every corner of the world. In every corner of the world. There's so many. Nice. I mean, you, you had this quote to us where you said that there is a difference between a mentor and a role model, but sometimes it's hard to tell. And role models are almost the people you don't talk to. I thought that sure. was pretty powerful. And it seems like that's how you see all of the contestants in Miss Universe. They are these role models that are Absolutely. kind of like, yeah, the the unspoken mentors for the world. Absolutely. Only that's the goal, right? To get them, people to understand they can speak to them. That's also the power of social, right? DM them mm. to you. They can help. I think being able to talk to them. Approachable. But see, I do talk so much. I didn't even remember saying that. Good thing you did. I mean, <laughs> that was awesome. He takes awesome notes. Um, I can't get over thinking about this and that this was Donald Trump's organization. And now here you are talking about menstrual equity across the globe, empowering these female leaders. And I can't even wait to see like what the next five oh. years brings for this organization with you at the helm. And I'm sort of also thinking about the way we met, which was through Chief and kind of this network that's set up. But at the same time, you know, there's that this is like part of that. And I don't think there's always this connection of what of what that can be a part of. So it's very, very exciting to see you in this role moving forward. It's also a part of it, right? Julie, you said you cold call, but I thought if you thought enough of me to hunt it down and you're obviously in this woman's sisterhood, I, I, I owe you that response. Like that's how people have to feel, right? You don't always have to say yes, but we, we have to support one another. So I say yes to, to crazy things all the time and I just don't judge how I'm doing. I know I'm going to talk too much and, you know, that's more work for you guys. You have to edit. But I think that we have to, to support. What you know it better than we do. And by the way, <laughs> exactly. Anne, I have to tell you, Trump used to own it, but we recently were acquired by JKN Global Media Group. Hunan is a trans woman. She's the first woman to own Miss Universe. So where That's this amazing. thing is going to go on such a global mm -hmm. level, it is the Super Bowl in so many places. I do think, talk about representation, just to see this trans woman own her sexuality, own her brain, and really make good strides is going to be interesting. Hopefully, I'll see Chief. We've never even met in real life. Doesn't matter. I know you. I'd love to see you there. I'm going to bring, we're having an event on you. May 3rd. Uh, so I'm going to send you an invite. I'm gonna You're in my house right now. I'm in your house. How can you not feel like the next time you see someone, 
you can't say, I know that person. They're pretty awesome. Well, don't judge them. I will say that about you. I gotcha. <laughs> sure. I gotcha. We're very lucky. Uh, thank you so much, Amy. This was This was a great. Blast. Thanks. I think everyone likes talking about themselves, but I like talking about Miss Universe even more. So thank you so much for listening. And we're back. Oh my gosh, Jimmy. I think we need to start getting our tiaras shined up and our sashes. What would you be, Miss Mr. Mr. What? I mean, I did everything I could to not make the bad joke about misunderstood versus Miss Universe. However, that domain name is a little expensive for me to go out and procure at this time. So let's just go with Mr. Understood, but we know that's obviously a fallacy. <laughs> This totally blew away all of the misperceptions I've had about pageants and about Miss Universe. And I feel that this organization is incredibly lucky to have Amy at the helm. And I would say that the women who are the contestants are also incredibly lucky to have somebody with as much vision and foresight and willingness to really take out key issues and shed light on them um, as Amy. So I was super inspired. Yeah, I was just amazed at the kind of like classic leadership principles that Amy's bringing to an organization that already delivers leadership to the world and has a really layered and nuanced organizational structure throughout the world. I mean, there's almost 100 countries that are participating and bringing future leaders an international stage and then bringing them home to help others. Future lady leaders future lady leaders. Amen to that. Yeah. And I feel like there were a lot of really good mentoring principles. I would say, what did you take away? My immediate takeaway, and this even stemmed from our first conversation with Amy, was how quickly I felt at ease with her. And one way she did that was by using the line, hey, it's simple. Either I know you or I don't. And that made me feel part of her circle of trust because she was telling me that either she knew me or she didn't. And there's no way she'd tell me that unless she kind of already knew me. It was a great, you know, unintentional way to really make me feel, you know, at ease with her. Well, and I think she later said that she values good humans who work hard. And so mm -hmm. I think you fall into that category. So and at least one of those. <laughs> At least one of us is one of those. Um, so yeah, I love that because you immediately kind of know your people, right? Like you can be in a group and you can immediately, you know, create that connection. So I totally agree. That was a really cool way to think about it. And then when you're looking for a mentor, part of people to be part of your circle, you want to establish that rapport quickly so that they know you, they, that you fall in the I know you category. And it creates ease with both individuals in a relationship when you're like, hey, you're part of my life. It's easy. And that means you don't have to think about and keep critically going in and out of whether or not you're ready to share something with another person. So it's really going to increase and augment your depth of your relationship if you're more quickly able to feel vulnerable and really share with somebody like you've known them for 100 years. If you're just like, yeah, I know you. You're part of my, of my tribe. Totally. The tribe of mentors. The tribe of Miss Universe. Tribe of the tribe. The other thing I loved that she brought, which I don't think we've heard in all of our episodes here, is really about the difference between a mentor and a role model. And that I think mm -hmm. certainly, as we know, mentor is a bit of a loaded word and people feel 
sometimes that they don't have what it takes to be a mentor. But if you feel that pressure, like just being a role model is enough, which means just acting with integrity and showing up with, you know, in your leadership that for her, just being that role model is enough. And people have, you know, commented on that over time and really seen that in her. So I think that's a great way to kind of just release that pressure is you just, just act with integrity. And just by doing that, you're being a mentor. Amen. And I think that's well said, Julie, too, because there's a lot of joke quotes about professional athletes that just because you see somebody on your TV, it doesn't mean that they're a role model for you. So there's this pressure that if you're famous, you're suddenly a role model for the world. That's not what this is about. This is about that you can be a role model for someone you have a direct relationship with. You just don't need to carry the mantle of being a mentor or a mentee or in a mentoring relationship with somebody, you can just say, Hey, I'm going to keep living my life with the values that matter to me. And that will hopefully provide context and clues to you about how to deal with some of the inflection points in your life without me having to DM you constantly on LinkedIn. You can just follow my LinkedIn feed. This is like such a big idea, Jimmy. This is huge. I think just that idea that you're always as a leader, you're kind of always being looked to and the importance of acting with integrity. And then years down the road, I think people will sit, come to you and say, oh yeah, you know, you were our boss or you were the leader, leader, leader. You were my boss's 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 boss, but I saw how you acted and that really informed how I act now that I'm the boss's boss. Maybe not all the way the boss's 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 boss. But um, so many bosses. I don't know if I can get through that many levels. <laughs> that's a benefit of being an entrepreneur. Hopefully you don't have that many, that many levels, but um in these big organizations, you definitely do. So yeah, I love that. I love that idea of just, just show up. Just by doing that, you're being a role model. Being a role model is enough. But what I really loved was her big takeaway at the end. This is my favorite part, but I'm gonna let you say it because I care about the you that quote? much. Go ahead. That, yeah, our number one quote, and as you know here on Augmenters, Let's Get Frazy is you know, my favorite segment. It was just so wonderful and Amy's got such a great style of how to deliver something like this, uh, which was, you know, uh, she was in between. I mean, it was great how she described it. She was in between jobs. She had just gone through like another large acquisition for a company. She was taking some time off. Wasn't sure what was going to happen next. And ding dong, (laughs) ding dong. Yeah. Bring, bring. She's in between jobs waiting for what's going to happen next. And the universe came calling. (laughs) So what do you do? You listen. I love that so much because I think there's always this feeling like you have to push to make things happen and you have to like jump, you know, you always have to be like holding on to things and moving it forward and that she didn't know what was going to happen during that time and it was COVID and and she was waiting for it. She said, the universe has something for me and it literally was Miss Universe. And thank God she took yeah. the job. Seriously. Because again, what a fantastic experience about dealing with, as she said, dealing with and leading a legacy brand through today's situation of business and turmoil and testing out, do pageants actually have a place in 2023? And I think there's a huge relationship between pageants and 2023. And that's because, Julie, do you know the definition of of pageant? (laughs) I do not, Jimmy, but I look forward to you sharing it with me. Let me tell you what my friend at Oxford Dictionary says. A pageant is a public entertainment consisting of a procession of people in elaborate, colorful costumes. And when I think of that, 
I think of today's boardroom. Let me tell you how much time it took people to get in their fancy suits and clothes and men and women getting their hair did to show up and look good to put on a show for all the shareholders. My God, it's so true. Although I feel like today it's like, you know, the best jeans with the, you know, most uh, custom hoodie. <laughs> hey, whatever it is. Whatever it is, it's true. There is a lot of pageantry. There is a lot of pageantry. I had never thought of it that way, but you're exactly okay. right. And now you're making me think of my OG best friend from TV, Tim Gunn. What a category for Project Runway if it wasn't boardroom streetwear. <laughs> boardroom streetwear. I think we have to have him on and talk to him about this, Jimmy. Uh, that I would probably explode. If we went back to back, Miss, Miss Universe and Amy to Tim Gunn and Project Runway. Well, you know what, Jimmy? If you believe it will happen, let's call Tim Gunn into our lives. Hashtag make it work. But really, it, it was this was one of my favorite conversations we had and the the takeaways are so powerful it was great it was great amy thank you so much for coming on uh jimmy and i are going to have our own miss universe watch party for the next miss universe and this year you know usa took it home arbonnet is representing for the states and i'm going to be following her yeah i'm inspired we're big fans already all right amy thank you so much augmenters out Wow, you've made it this far, and we thank you. Hopefully, you enjoyed our episode and discovered new ways to bring more authentic connection into your mentoring relationships. Want to tell them more, Jimmy? Be an Augmenter with us. Visit our website for the best interactive mentoring content at augmenters.us. Share our podcast with someone you care about. Like and subscribe. And yes, really, you following our show and writing a review, it's a big deal. Your actions provide us with the resources to continue our undefeated, unencumbered, prize-winning productions. We welcome questions and suggestions via email, hi at augmenters.us, or on social with our handle at augmentershq. We are most active and available on LinkedIn and YouTube. Shout out an earnest thank you to our intrepid producer, Erlen Cato. We appreciate you. Augmenters out. See ya. Thank you.